0: With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. Informative and engaging. Rick Munn. Rick Munn on today's News Talk Radio, TNT
1: yep uh we're coming at you live it's thursday the 7th of december 2023 hopefully you're enjoying the content here on our breakfast or early morning slot for the uk ireland and europe of course it's later on in the evening for you aussies and you people over at that part of the world and in the middle of the night it's the middle of the night for anyone that's listening in in america north america or canada that type of uh, area so if you're up and you can't sleep and you've tuned in uh we hope you're enjoying the content and of course to all the people that have been leaving messages in the live chat and also that messages through our email service if you go onto to tntradio.live you want to leave a, a message for anyone in particular there's contact forms on there just type out a message and uh it'll get through to us and we'll do our level best to read it and possibly respond to it or act on it if it's some uh, positive constructive criticism or feedback that you have for us how we can keep making things better here on tnt so uh, Uh, really strange times. I mean, the stuff that we've been banging on about for years now, it seems to be, you know, our leaders are now falling into place with it. Like, just listen to this. Just listen to this for a minute. This is a, a message that went out today by Rishi Sunak on his own social media platform. He said, we can no longer tolerate endless illegal immigration into our country. It's costing us billions of pounds. It's costing innocent lives and action needs to be taken to stop it. Okay. This is coming from the British prime minister. And if that had been you or I writing that message, which many of us did repeatedly for the last few years, we would be deemed to be intolerant. We would be deemed to be xenophobic, right-wing extremists. And here we have Rishi literally echoing the words of people from the last few years. We can no longer tolerate this. It's costing us billions of pounds. It's costing us innocent lives. Yeah, you know, I hate to say it, but we've been trying to say that and tell you that for the last two to three years or longer, and no one's been listening. So maybe the penny's dropping here, or maybe they've known this all along, and they're showing, at least on face value, that they're doing a U-turn in this, but we we know they're not. We know that this is all part of their plan. Um, another news article here that I want to look at, uh, very briefly here on a financial front, uh, looking at Kenya. Uh, so, what's happening in Kenya at the minute? Kenya is one of the largest economies in Africa, certainly on East Africa. It's the most uh, powerful economy in East Africa. Uh, 5th of December, which was yesterday, Nairobi, Kenya's central bank has unveiled a big interest rate hike. Uh, which happened on tuesday of this week aimed at stabilizing the shilling currency whose depreciation has spurred price pressures curbed foreign investment and affected debt servicing so there's a massive interest rate hike of uh, two percentage points in kenya their basic rate uh, or their interest rate at the minute is sitting at 12.5 percent which is insane when you consider that the vast majority of kenyan people are living at sub sub subsistence level Uh, that some of them are living on you know five pounds a day or five pounds a week in some cases of wages they can't really absorb any interest rate hikes so the Kenyan government is trying to stabilize its own currency it's worried about the loss of foreign investment into Kenya and of course the vast majority of people that benefit from that are the uh, oligarchs that run Kenya and the powerful families that are in control uh, in the Kenyan government so uh, they're taking steps to stabilize their own currency but it's going to be at the expense Of the people. Uh, So the shilling, the Kenyan shilling is down more than uh, 19% against the dollar this year alone, 2023, having struck repeated all-time lows along the way. And what's going to be happening is basically in January, uh, they're expecting a huge bailout coming from uh, European banks. So uh, the, the central bank governor, and this is his real name, his name is Kamau Thug, his surname is thug i kid you not told reporters that authorities are expecting 300 million dollars from regional bank trade and development bank in the first two weeks of december and that would be used to buy back part of their eurobonds. and then they expect another 1.25 billion dollars in support from the world bank early into 2024. so in a month's time They're waiting, waiting, waiting for a 1.5, 1.25 to $1.5 billion uh, injection of cash from uh, the World Bank early next year. And of course, that type of cash injection into a country that's struggling financially, that's trying to shore up their uh, currency, which is the Kenyan shilling against the dollar, that is going to buy the World Bank a hell of a lot of influence in Kenya. uh, You can bet your life on that one. They will be implementing policies based on the amount of money they have injected into the country, much the same way as the Chinese have, because they have been building roads feverishly and uh, upgrading infrastructure in East Africa for a very, very long time. That all comes at a price and it's not just a price of dollars or uh yuan whatever the uh chinese currency being used at the time is it's going to be a case of that buys you a lot of influence so expect to see uh, last year we were predicting uh rwanda uganda uh Kenya and Nigeria on the west coast of Africa these will all be key players uh, in globalism going forward into uh, the next year and into the next decade and we're starting to see that now with increased loans to countries to shore up their economies that all comes uh, with a price so let us know what you think if we happen to have any Africans listening at the minute Uh, if you're a resident in Kenya or in that part of the world Rwanda Uganda Tanzania uh, drc uh leave us a message in the live chat or give us a call maybe on one of the open line shows we would love to hear from you but yeah expect to see more shenanigans and skullduggery happening in kenya over the next uh 12 months so we've got to take a little break now and then i'll be very happy to welcome back uh jemma cooper uh we're going to chew the fat so don't go away uh, more to come here on tnt radio clashing
0: on the controversies it's a woke society and i am fed up with it today's news talk radio tnt
1: Okay, Gemma, uh, we've got a story here that I suppose you could say uh, we can relate to a little bit. Uh, We're creeping on a little bit in years. I don't want to say we're old. I want to say we are older maybe than we were obviously uh, 10 years ago. But uh, this is a story about people in their 50s, uh, early retirement, thinking about early retirement being replaced and intimidated by technology, uh, thinking about throwing the towel in. Uh, What's going on with this one?
2: Well, I don't think that this story which is broken today here in the UK is um, is exclusive to the UK. I wonder how many people globally uh, of a certain age, the midlife transition, are, are also feeling this uh, due to the fact that by the time you get to midlife you are a very different person to the one you were when you started out in your career in your 20s and also because of the relentless unstoppable uh, surge in technology and no sooner have you kind of kept up with one kind of way of technology there's another one superseding it um, but it does pu- it poses serious questions for the UK economy and, uh, and the British government are taking this extremely seriously um, but yes uh, global research has shown that uh, five and a half nearly a uh, million workers over the age of 50 in the UK are now considering early retirement and leaving the workforce in their 50s, um, which will put an incredible strain on an already strained workforce. Because um, there just aren't enough people now working to pay the tax and national insurance stamps to prop up people who've retired and the state pension. Um, basically, the main reason they're citing is they haven't got the skills, the tech skills, uh, to move in a fast-paced workforce. They, they feel there's no point unless they've got given significant training. They're just going to drop out, retire quietly if you can afford to do such a thing. Um, and they're not interested in working. Now the government are taking this really seriously here in the UK and last year, uh, Jeremy Hunt announced a whole raft of measures to bring the over 50s back into the workforce and they disappeared during the last three and a half years and they don't Mm -hmm. want to come back. Um, we've got 83,000 more over 50s in the workforce now than we did this time last year, but he's saying that that's not enough at all. It poses significant risks to the economy and more needs to be done to uh, prevent a reversal of these figures because 83,000 might have come back, but they might think, No, I've come back and I really don't like it and I'm going again. So it's kind of like there's a real instability there. I do think there's more to it than just tech possibly. I think you get to a certain age, Rick, I think you probably will attest to this and you realize you've been sold a pup when it comes to devoting your life to an organization or a corporation, you realize you've been sold a pup when it comes to chasing money and seeing money as the source of all your happiness, along with possessions. You know, you get a car, you have to get a bigger car, you get a house, you have to get a bigger house. I don't know where these unwritten rules came into Western capitalism society, but that the rules that underpin our lives and the rules that underpin the system that we find ourselves living in. seems that more and more people uh, go through midlife and have some kind of awakening. And I don't think it's any coincidence at all from what I saw on the freedom rallies throughout 2020, 2021 and twenty two, And a lot of people in the freedom movement who are the most vocal people are midlife people, people in their 50s, 55 plus, who have become activists and campaigners for the first time in their lives. It is an age where you kind of step into the real you and become the person I think you're meant to be. But it is having significant implications for the economy. Some could argue you were talking there about money, money talks, power and influence. If you step away from thinking that money has to be the dominating factor in your life, it's great for you possibly, it's not so great for the system. But I would argue that is actually a good thing.
1: Yeah, do you not find as well that uh, when you do get into your mid forties or say fifties, a lot of people are not just stuck. Uh, you know, they, they they do get sucked into a rat race. They do get sucked into working for a certain corporation. And once you hit a certain age, you almost resign yourself to the fact that that's you for the remainder of your working life. Because if you're in your late forties or or in your fifties, it's very very hard to have a complete change of you know job direction or a complete change of vocation unless maybe you go back to university, you become a mature your student you do night classes you get a qualification in something that'll allow you to move away from one industry and into another one for example or unless you go out self-employed or unless you know something comes along like in my case tnt radio you know i was working for a large uh, organization uh, in northern ireland here and probably most of the people that i work with are there for life. I mean, there were people retiring after 45 years service, 47 years service, 50 years service. Uh, They'd been in there, there were lifers. And you know, that was the joke, you know, the only way out of that organization was in a pine box really, Uh, or or you got a new lease of life from somewhere. And I think once you get to a certain point as well, you can almost resign yourself, you can lose ambition. uh, You can almost say, shrug your shoulders and say, well, it's a young person's game. I'm just talking generally here. A lot of people don't think that way, but a lot of people do and that keeps in their place and then they're seeing uh things like this going well you know they're they're bringing in this tech and they're bringing in this and i know it's not a tech story but it does not i mean i don't like tech personally speaking i don't know about you but i don't i like to talk to people face to face if i can i like to interact with people freely and loosely if i can Tech and the dependence on tech is not something that I like, but unfortunately, it's something that we have to deal with and we have to embrace it because, you know, what's the alternative? If we shun tech, you and I wouldn't be talking together this morning. We couldn't exchange stories this morning. People couldn't communicate with us on the live chat or zoom in and listen to us on the live stream at the minute. So it's almost an evil that's with us if you want to look at it that way, a necessary evil, but it can't be used for good, but it's here whether we like it or not
2: it is here whether we like it or not and it seems that a lot of people our age according to this research and according to these figures out today they really don't like it um it is harder to well allegedly it's harder to learn new skills as you get older and i think it's more this um realization that you'll learn it and then it'll be superseded by something else i mean who would who who would have thought we'd all be working on zoom five years ago it was just would have been unheard of you know in television it would have been the kiss of death you know just endless talking heads that was a no-no you would go out and you would film film actual real stuff happening that's that's happening less and and less in the industry that I was in and still find myself in. It's changed beyond all recognition. Um, But I do wonder as well, you know, you get to 50, uh, people start dying, your parents start dying. Sometimes your friends start dying. I've been to a couple of funerals uh, this year, people in their fifties that uh, really shocked me. And I think as well, you get to a stage of like, well, how much time have I got left? And if you're a self-aware person, you think, well, what do I spend my time doing? Do I want to be told what to do by a boss that I don't like or respect in an organization that I've lost interest in? Or do I make the leap and start living my life for myself? So I think it's a combination of lots of things once you hit midlife. Um, Like I say, in the freedom movement here in the UK, I've seen some of the most Uh, not timid, what's the word? I suppose socially conservative people who've had very respectable jobs suddenly become firebrand activists and stand on roundabouts with yellow boards and campaign for cash and all sorts of things that they never would have done in their 20s and 30s. But in their 50s, they're suddenly galvanized to becoming the real them, I think. Or they've had their awakening, which so many have had over the last few years. But uh, personally, I think having the courage to step away from the system is is a good thing. The system doesn't like it. The system wants you back. But for you, mm-hmm. when you're on your deathbed, you'll thank yourself.
1: Yeah, I know. Because at the end of the day, when you if you do get to have a deathbed experience, you know you might be taken suddenly and don't have that luxury. But very, very few people. Uh, an old man once said to me, "You'll never land your deathbed." And regret taking more time off work, or traveling the world more, or meeting new people. Where you'll never regret doing that. You might regret spending those extra few hours in work every day, or doing those unnecessary commutes, or doing overtime at the weekend that you didn't really need to do to pay for things that you don't really uh, want, and give gifts to people that you don't really like. So yeah, another thing I suppose you could say, just to sum this one up, is as you do get to this point in life, if anybody out there is listening, and you're in and around, you know, your forties, fifties, and sixties, or even older than that you do reflect a little bit more and you do say you know what i only have a finite amount of time because when you're young you think you're immortal i only have a finite amount of time left in this body so i want to make the best of what time i have left and i think it can work the other way too a lot of people resign themselves as i said to you know what they have but other people can actually uh, spur them on to maybe better themselves or to break out of the rat race or just to to take a chance gemma and do something new and just uh, revitalize themselves at what could be uh, the downward slope into uh, the grave. (laughs) But that's not us. We're uh, upbeat (laughs) and positive here in TNT and encourage other people to be so as well. So massive thanks to you for that one. Yeah, certainly a lot of food for thought in that. Uh, Leave us your thoughts and comments in the live stream. Are you 50? Are you over the hill? Or are you just getting started in life is the best yet to come. So please stay tuned. Uh, Ian Davis is about to join me here live on Locked the Loaded TNT Radio. We'll be right back after this break. TNT Radio's James Freeman. We have new revised
3: figures from the Office for National Statistics showing that legal, that's not illegal, that's legal, net migration to the UK has witnessed one of the largest increases on record. Three quarters of a million additional people are now living in the UK in the space of just one year a huge number that comes just three years after we left the European Union. Now, I didn't vote for Brexit because of immigration. I voted because of democracy, but millions did vote because they think too many people are coming into the country, which makes what the government has allowed to happen an absolute two fingers up to the people and democracy. Another example, if we needed another, of how the government does the exact opposite to what the people want and vote for.
0: The Freeman Report and James Freeman on today's News Talk Radio TNT.
4: Here's a bushfire fact. Bushfires can occur without warning. So, if you're travelling during bushfire season, here are three simple steps to remember. 1. Check the fire danger rating before you go. The higher the fire danger rating, the more dangerous the conditions. It may be safer to replan your trip. 2. Think about the area you're going to and what you would do if a fire started. How would you escape the area if you needed to? and where would you go? Check if there's a neighborhood safer place. Three, it's dangerous to drive through smoke or fire. If you can't find a way to avoid the fire, park in a cleared area, face the car towards the fire, and turn the engine off. Then lie on the floor and cover yourself to protect yourself from radiant heat. Live bushfire ready. For more helpful tips, visit myfireplan.com.au today.
0: At the top of the hour, we'll keep on top of the news. It's the most important thing we can do. On today's News Talk, TNT
4: Radio.
1: Okay, we are locked and loaded. We are live booming out of our undisclosed bunker location on the Gold Coast in Australia. And we are now happy to be joined, or I'm happy to be joined certainly by uh, none other than Mr. Ian Davis, also known as underscore in this together on the X platform or in the real night in real life, simply as Ian Davis. Funnily enough, uh, you can check out his output on his website, which is iandavis.com. And just for those of you out there, it's I A I N iaindavis.com and he also has a Substack page. Uh, you can go on there and check out his works, his writings, his musings, his thoughts and opinions on what's going on in the world. And if you can see fit, support the work that he does because he writes very detailed pieces on various geopolitical events that are happening at the minute. Also looks at things from a you know a psychological point of view. In his own words, he's a journalist, he's an author, he's a researcher, and he's also a blogger. And he's a damn fine gentleman. The boot. Welcome back to TNT Radio,
3: Mister Ian Davis how are you doing today i'm very well thanks rick thanks very much for inviting me always a pleasure to have an opportunity to chat
1: well, always nice to see you. Roughly every, you know, four to six weeks we get hooked up and there's always plenty to talk about here. There's a piece, a very detailed piece that you've just had published on uh, Geopolitics and Empire, which is our friend Hervoy Morich's uh, project. I want to get into that with you. It's to do with false flags and some of the events that have been happening subsequent to uh, the October the 7th uh, attacks in Israel-Palestine that are going on at the minute. I want to dig into that deeply with you uh, after we take our news break at around about half past the hour, but leading us up to that. Uh, There was a little uh, message that you put out uh, to do with a joke, uh, which was effectively the British COVID inquiry at the minute. It's not even something that I'm really following for this reason and this reason only. I don't think that they're going to tell us anything that, for example, you or I didn't already know. And for the uninitiated out there or the people that have had their heads in the sand that, that were duped by the government, they're going to accept the excuses and the lies and the statistical manipulation that, for example, Boris Johnson is putting out there, Michael Gove is putting out there, and uh, Matt Hancock is putting out there. And I don't think, I really don't think we're gonna see anybody arrested. I don't think we're gonna see any people being prosecuted. I don't see we're gonna see any jail time for any of these people. Is it just a sham? As it is in australia as it will be in new zealand as it would be in any other part of the world is it's just uh paying lip service to this to get it ticked off the box and move it into the that's behind us category
3: yeah they're all, all of these inquiries and you know obviously i'm focused on the uk inquiry that's it's, uh, on the in, in british in, uh, inquiry it's a total farce absolute ridiculous farce i mean the What's coming out of it so far, and we've seen, you know, Boris Johnson crying because he got things wrong, allegedly, and all this kind of stuff. What's coming out of it so far is that, you know, and and it is as expected, the failure will be the failure to lock down soon enough. They should have locked down harder and faster. So it's not that the actual policies were, it's not even as if the question's been asked. The, the lockdown policy itself was fundamentally wrong in every single regard now you can I mean we we saw earlier with the testimony that Dominic Cummings has already been to the inquiry I mean one of the things that he said in a parliamentary inquiry uh before before this this public inquiry uh, alleged public inquiry it's not as a cover-up operation it's rubbish um uh, was that he he spoke at length about the influence of the Gates people and how effectively the Gates people led the UK government's response to COVID-19. I mean he made that pretty clear in his comments to a previous uh, public, uh, a previous parliamentary inquiry committee meeting. It was a, a it was actually a parliamentary committee. But nonetheless he made that pretty clear. The Gates people were leading and so what he means by that is you know the globalist I think he called them the Gates people and that that kind of network, which means, you know, basically global NGOs, philanthropic foundations, global corporations were leading the U- the UK government's so-called political response and policy response to COVID-19. Um, did that come up in his questioning in the inquiry? No, wasn't even mentioned. It's just, it's just totally ridiculous, this thing. It's, it's just... And that anybody is giving it any credence is is starting to wind me up, to be honest, because yeah. it's it's got no value. It's got no value. It is a PR propaganda exercise from start to finish. There's nothing of any value gonna come out of this. It's it's not designed to and and nor I would say will anything of any value particularly come out of the similar inquiries anywhere else in the world. It's just a cover-up.
1: That's the tragedy in all this, you know, well-meaning people are pushing for inquiries, they're pushing for, uh, you know, commissions to be happening to do with what happened during, you know, 2020 Mm. up to 2023. It's still happening at at the minute, you know, people are still uh, Mm. on the tail end of abuse from these lockdowns and mental health issues. NHS waiting lists are up there around about 8 million now. But just one takeaway point from what you've just said there is, uh, you know, rather than reflecting on this and saying, you know what, yeah, those lockdowns were extremely damaging they destroyed the economy uh they've r- ruined you know inflation went through the roof we've been printing money we've had to hike mm. interest rates mm. everybody's suffering financially they gaslight us in. And they turn it around by saying, actually, on reflection, we should have locked down harder and we should have locked down sooner. We're never going to hear them hold their hands up and say, yes, what we did destroyed the economy, destroyed family units, uh, put people in misery for years, ruined the country's national- uh, mental health, destroyed education. If you want to call it education for a whole generation of school children that are now uh, falling hopelessly behind in their studies and still suffering mental health impacts, they're never going to say that. They just said no you know what on reflection yeah what we should have done is we should have locked down faster and we should have locked down harder I think it's every opportunity to gaslight us in is what the government's Mm -hmm. doing at the minute and there's a sick I think there's a twisted sickness among some of them for example Matt Hancock I think he takes great delight personally speaking in watching people's reaction to you know his affair or his supposed crocodile tears that were shed live on air when he wept over the first person to get the vaccine you know he's having a laugh and he's on the pig's back look at how well he's doing at the minute and you think of the damage that that has caused it's just a slap in the face for people uh like you and i we're going to take a, a little news break right now if we can and when we come back uh there's a story that i really want to dig into which is a fantastic piece that you have wrote uh to do with uh the the recent events in the middle east and we'll do that when we come back after the short news break here on tnt radio tnt radio news hi everybody so many crazy news stories
4: going on right now now the news Go. Matt Boylant here with a look at your TNT headlines. There were extraordinary scenes in the Middle East on Wednesday as Russian President Vladimir Putin made the rare trip to the United Arab Emirates and Saudi Arabia, flanked by Russian fighter jets. There's panic in the White House after Congress blocked President Biden's request for another multi billion dollar aid package for Ukraine. And Venezuela has mobilized its army as it prepares to claim oil rich territory controlled by neighboring Guyana. On air and on the app. I listen on the app. Stay up to date around the
0: clock. I listen. Therefore, I know. Today's News Talk Radio TNT.
1: Okay, I'm joined live uh, by my chum, Ian Davis. And also, Ian, just a shout out to you here in the live chat. An awful lot of people are enjoying your input both both today and also uh, in general, uh, River in the live chat said, uh, woohoo, Ian Davis, what a man. And no, that's not Ian under a pseudonym on the live chat. This is actually another person here. Uh, River goes on to say, uh, he has opened my eyes to many things. And you know what? I'll give him testimony. He's opened my eyes to many things as well. I, don't, I, I learn, I try and learn from the people that I have on here as guests. Uh, I, I look upon them as, as sources of information who have done a lot of research into areas that I have not. So I try and glean information from them myself. So yes, uh, Ian has also opened my eyes to many things as well. Personally speaking, uh, Jobby said, uh, Ian is awesome. So you've got a lot of fans in there at the moment. Mazzy in there uh, says the same thing. So uh, it's good to have you back. Just before we talk about uh, the Middle East, just a a comment that I, I heard this morning on a news clip, Ian, just before you came on. Uh, talking about the Ukraine conflict war uh, or the Ukraine uh, Russia uh, conflict war that's happening at the minute has been since February of 2022 the White House is being uh, questioned on you know their withdrawal of aid they say look the money's running out there we're not going to put any more money into that but they're saying but if we don't it could cost American blood and listen to this this is another example of gaslighting and turning things around Uh, the White House press secretary said that if Putin wins if Putin wins, which effectively already has, he said, and he takes Ukraine, he said it means that he's pushing on the eastern flank of NATO. OK, so if he takes Ukraine, he's going to push on the eastern <laughs> flank of NATO. Am I mistaken about this? You know, one of the things that I've learned from you is, you know, the background of NATO and its expansion of when it should have actually been wound up because it doesn't really it's not really needed anymore. Technically, is is nato not pushing on the western flank of russia rather than russia pushing on the eastern flank of nato or have i got that horribly wrong
3: no you haven't got that horribly wrong that's that's you know absolutely correct i mean i mean if we if we look at the way that the ukraine war started uh you know there's this if you look at it, it as far as anyone can have a legitimate case for war which is always illegitimate in my view but as far as anyone could have a legitimate case for war, Russia's extensive, uh, you know, uh, reasons for the war to begin with made sense, you know, I mean, I, I mean, you know, they were looking at NATO expansion, never ending NATO expansionism, you know, Zelensky threatened them with nuclear weapons shortly before the war began i mean another point i mean it's all ridiculous i mean people seem to forget you know what what was said only a year or two ago when the war began president then you know president biden said and openly admitted ukraine's got no chance russia of course russia can defeat ukraine i mean that, that was that was a given i mean everybody accepted that that in effect ukraine's got no chance We now have subsequently learned, obviously, that people like Boris Johnson were dispatched to scupper, you know, reasonable negotiations at the start of the conflict. Another point, Russia's never had any intention, It never, never stated any intention to seize Ukraine. That was that. Russia's never made that claim. The Russian government never made that claim. Quite obviously, what they want is some sort of you know, effective way of stopping Ukraine joining NATO, which seems like they've done that. I mean, that you it's not possible that Ukraine could join NATO now. And also, you know, there's the argument of trying to do something about the eight year long war that was going on in the east of Ukraine as the Ukrainian government was bombing its own people. Now, that point, people seem to forget about that to the to the extent that the russian government has politically to a certain extent seemingly resolved that problem okay uh, but has it stopped the bombing and the shelling no but i mean but but the point is if you look at it from a purely logical perspective um then you know russia had the best argument out of out of nato and russia so i mean nato had, had, had totally ignored the the guarantee right now there's another interesting thing because there was never anything written there was never any agreed guarantees with russia that nato wouldn't expand it was all verbal and it's all come from you know we've learned in subsequent years from people like gorbachev what the verbal agreement was and which is a bit odd isn't it when you think about it when you're talking about things of such global significance that it's all done by handshakes and a a, you know a word in the in the back room of some meeting somewhere which obviously doesn't make a lot of sense if you're going to have formal agreements with nation, other nations, and they should be written down and, you know, and, and part of international law. That didn't happen. So the, the so so the so the possibility of uh, you know Baker's agreement and all this kind of stuff to just be ignored by NATO always existed. But it's it's just pure, as you said, gaslighting. Nothing we've been told about the 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 Ukrainian conflict makes much sense, to be honest. it's it's all you know why why didn't russia use its air superiority and end it really quickly why Mm -hmm. did why did russian troops surround kiev and then just withdraw under no military pressure at all i mean think things like this don't make sense they don't Mm -hmm. make sense now it's okay to say well there's you know the idea for that was russia was showing its goodwill maybe maybe so maybe maybe there's a lot to be said that but we all learn at the same time that Russia was involved in negotiations with the with the Kiev government and and that they must have been aware or are they totally I mean this is none of this makes sense we know that people like Johnson scuppered those talks are we supposed to believe that Russia didn't know that that it didn't know it didn't the Russian government didn't know that at the time and followed through on its goodwill gesture anyway I mean it's just nonsensical It, it Doesn't make any sense.
1: Do you not find, though, that it's uh, mass ignorance allows statements like the one that I read out from the White House to be accepted and to be bought into en masse? So, for example, you know, uh, as you rightly said as well, Russia's intention was never to conquer Ukraine or to uh, overrun Ukraine and annex the entire country back into Russian soil. That was never the plan. They were protecting the eastern borders of the place. But not only did the White House guy said, OK, when they take all of Ukraine, which they don't want to do, then they could win will zone in on another NATO ally. So they might go for Poland next. They might go for Germany next. And then in his words, we would have to put American boots on the soil. Now, if you're listening to that, as an average American who really doesn't have any idea about the history of that area or what's actually happening on the ground or the connections with the Bidens have had in that place and everything else that's been going on in Ukraine, you would sit and listen and go and say, well, yeah, I think we we need to do something. We don't want Russia to take the whole country over and then start attacking NATO. We don't want them pushing on our Eastern flank when they don't understand that the whole purpose of the expansion, I mean, look at the way NATO has expanded, uh, you know, over the last 20 or 30 years, you know, to almost, uh, you know, engulf around Russia you know Ukraine was really the last buzz. it just simply couldn't become a NATO country and also some of the things you know we weren't planning on talking about uh, the Ukraine conflict but it just opens up so many things Hell's bells, man! Diplomacy was the first uh, casualty in this, and the sanctions that were levied on Russia, you know, have ultimately backfired. And people like you, mayor, are all of us. We're all paying the price of this in terms of, you know, increased fuel prices, you know, increased inflation. You know, money's been printed and sent over as aid. Yeah, I don't know how many billions has been pumped into there from the UK alone, and hundreds of billions has been pumped in uh, from America. It's the it's the it's the American citizens and the UK citizens are paying for this. Ultimately, not not Biden, not Blair, not uh, Sunak, not Johnson or Truss. You know, rattling off all the British prime ministers that have been around since this started. Only one of them actually was elected. So I've mentioned three Tory prime ministers. Only two. One of them was elected, and one of them lasted six weeks. That's you know, the kind of environment that we're operating in at the minute. It's mental.
3: Yeah I mean I mean you you're asking the wrong guy about electoral politics uh, well, you know I, I mean know. I, I, I personally think they're a complete waste of time I I actually think that voting is morally wrong but I mean mm. that's an, that's a, that's another argument but um, but but you know as you just made, I mean you mentioned trust there which is a good point because uh, i'd completely forgotten about uh trust my battery is about to go i've got to swap over battery sorry about oh,
1: this well we'll take it we'll take a news break now we're due to take an ad break so we'll do it now and uh when we come back we will get into this uh uh palestine ukraine story or palestine ukraine <laughs> palestine israel story if you i promise when we come back after the short break here on tnt please don't go away
2: weaponizing
0: weather with reality and perspective.
1: Well, of course, the biggest story in climate right
0: now is Vice President Kamala Harris leaves for the climate conference with the biggest carbon footprint in history. She's heading to Abu Dhabi or whatever, for COP28 in Joe's place, with hosts under fire for wanting to push oil and gas deals. Do you know why there's so many people there? Because they realize what a scam this is, and they're trying to push oil and gas deals. Anyway, she left, and there's 400,000 people expected there. Now, do you really believe that those 400,000 people are all interested in eliminating fossil fuels? I would say there are quite a few of them, given Abu Dhabi is in the Middle East and there's a lot of oil in the Middle East, that are seeking to do business because they know what a scam this is. And let's see, at its head, Sultan al-Jabbar has denied reports he's using meetings at the summit to make side deals on fossil fuels produced by the United Arab Emirates. I'm sure he's smart enough to probably be doing that this is TNT climate and weather watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather even if we can't go over to Abu Dhabi because it's the only weather you got you are loved you are valued you are
2: resilient
0: You got this. You are there for them. We are here for you. Find free care guides <laughs> at aarp.org caregiving. Informative and engaging. Rick Munn. Rick Munn on today's News Talk Radio TNT.
1: Okay, just before uh, we do dive into this uh, piece of yours, you did you were making a point on Liz Truss then uh, the battery started to die. Do you want to continue to make that point, uh,
3: lest we forget it, or uh, what? Uh, I've completely about forgotten question. about what it was. I, I, I just, I just hey, thanked you for reminding me that Liz Truss exists.
1: <laughs> yeah, and there was there was a there was a, listen. This is this is serious. When Liz Truss was put into office, uh, there was a YouTube channel started off, and someone put a lettuce a lettuce on a live stream and said that they reckon that that lettuce would last longer than Liz Truss before it completely decayed into nothing. And you know what? The the lettuce won, Ian. I think she only lasted... The lettuce made it. The lettuce, the lettuce outlived Liz Truss on the old shelf. So anyway, yeah, she's gone anyway. And uh, more pressing and more uh, up-to-date issues here. You have a piece uh, that was written for Geopolitics and Empire, or at least you wrote it, and that's where it has ended up. And the the headline here is, uh, was Al-Aqsa flood? a false flag and that of course refers to the uh the events in and around uh, October the 7th 2023 this year uh, Israel-Palestine that has kicked off this whole uh business in the Middle East at the minute so was it a false flag yes or no and if the answer to that is yes
3: why in a nutshell it it certainly the evidence so all you can say at the moment is because the evidence suggests a number of unanswered questions right so that's that's all you can say with any certainty but the evidence points towards it being yes a false flag of a lie hop let it happen on purpose variety now the extent that many of those questions if they were resolved for example uh there are, there are a number of reports from people from uh kibbutz berry uh, kibbutz uh, Azar and places like that and a lot of video reports and a lot of reports of extensive damage to property, ex, you know, explosive s- properties that were smashed to pieces, obliterated. Uh, a lot, Also a lot of evidence of people that were burned, very badly burned. Um, now, you've got to look at things like what did Hamas have that could do that? So they had RPGs, they had some... Uh, they got some surface-to-surface missiles, but but ex- you know they weren't carrying them with them. Uh, if you look at all the video of Hamas, and there's a lot of re- lot of video released of Hamas, and I'm not for one moment saying that I'm not in any way endorsing anything that Hamas did. Mm -hmm. Hamas obviously did kill a lot of innocent civilians. There's no doubt about that. They definitely did. They filmed themselves doing it. They put it on their own telegram channels. Mm -hmm. So there's no doubt that they did that. And I'm not defending them in any way, nor am I suggesting for one moment that Hamas wittingly complied with some plan by some members of the Israeli deep state. I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is if you look at the evidence, the chances of Hamas being able to conduct that 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 operation as they did without Israel knowing about it in advance, which is the official narrative, that they knew nothing about it, is nil. It's nil. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's not possible that that, that that was the case. They had things like, you know, reportedly, you know, for example, Israeli intelligence had a plan that they knew that that had come directly from Hamas which they codenamed Jericho wall which was which was Al-Axa flood and they'd had that for a year they knew about mass rocket launches mass rocket launches had happened in 2014 uh 2021 you know these huge rocket launches which ov- overwhelmed the iron iron Dome air defense systems the iron wall defense system that they had around Gaza which we are told they just assumed uh would protect them against a, an attack from Hamas that narrative makes absolutely no sense because it wasn't designed to stop a mass attack it was designed as an early warning system the people that made that built the wall said that you know and that was known that was widely known so why israeli defense intelligence would allegedly assume that that would stop a mass attack is 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 ludicrous there's no, there's no explanation for that so that they, they if you look at the evidence they definitely had clear human intelligence warnings going back for a year or more that this attack was Im- imminent they had observation posts that were that were saying that the attack was imminent they got official reports from their own observation posts saying that the attack was imminent they got local people that lived in the area speaking on national radio prior to the attack, saying that the attack was imminent. Then we've got testimony, it has to be said, we've got testimony from a number of people that were at, sadly at the sites where, the many of the kibbutzes where people lost their lives, saying that most, many of those lives were lost to Israeli shelling. Many of those lives were lost to Israeli attacks. There are um, a number of very odd anomalies about what allegedly happened at the Supernova Festival. If you look at the official Israeli narrative about that, uh, they said that the Hamas fighters, so the Al-Qassam and Al-Quds brigades, you know, that they're, they're actually not Hamas. But, but anyway, the, the fighters and I deliberately use the word fighters because we need to be very clear about what terrorism is. Mm-hmm. They they were approaching along a route Route 232, which goes parallel with with the board the Garzan border. So they were approaching from the north and from the south. They were engaged in fighting on the north of the Gazan uh, of the uh festival massacre, uh, qu- questionable shelling, massacre, missile fire, we don't know. Um, they were engaged with them at 8:30. Uh in the morning on the north border, there was was a fight between Israeli police. So Israeli police were there in significant numbers because they were holding off a Hamas attack on the north of the festival site. The only the only Hamas fighters that could have made it to the festival site to commit the massacre were coming from the south, which means they were moving away from a key military target called the Ream military base. Now, bearing in mind, all this is happening at a time when Gaza's southern command the southern command of the Israel IDF had transferred three div, three battalions away from the Gaza division which is the Gaza division is the one that is primarily tasked with defending that part that that border had moved three divisions away only a few days earlier to to go to the west bank so 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 the key defensive positions were left undefended clearly undefended because there's no way that those Hamas fighters could have been leaving the, um, bury, uh, the Reem military base. because that was a key target. So yeah. supposedly they didn't know anything about it. Right. So that means that they must've ad hoc decided to go to this, to go to, to this festival when they found it. Right. But, mm-hmm. but they allegedly they killed 350 people at that festival which they didn't know about. These people had scattered and were running around all over the countryside and trying to leave in their vehicles. So Hamas managed that it didn't, it wasn't expecting any of this, allegedly. It managed to close off all the exit routes. It managed to chase, hunt down people that were scattered around all over the countryside, kill 350 of them in about an hour using nothing but small arms. And that's supposedly they did that ad hoc. They just they just mm. managed to do that ad hoc. Well, that's to to organise the organisation that went into that attack. If it is as described, was extensive. This is if if it is as de- as described, then it was one of the most remarkable feats of spontaneous military coordination ever in the history of combat. I would imagine. It's it's not plausible we, that they managed to not, do that. It's not. It's, it's not, not plausible.
1: plausible. I, I, the other thing, just listening to you talk as well, you know this uh, pleading of ignorance uh, by the Israeli got. We didn't see this coming. We couldn't have saw this coming. Uh, you mm. know, with with a uh, uh, an organization with the intelligence that they have, I remember when this kicked off. It's now what uh, two months ago, so October. Say two months ago, almost to the day. Uh, to the two months to the day, within a few days. Of this happening, uh, somebody asked me onto some American TV thing. You know, what's your opinion on what's happening? And I gave a little overview on it back then, a few days afterwards, and pretty much just what you're saying. My view on it was this: Okay, people that previously worked for the IDF said, "Listen, that border—if a cockroach—if a cockroach comes up to that border." we're going to know about it. And they're not getting past the cockroach they're talking about, let alone an invading force uh, of uh, Hamas uh, terrorists or, uh, you know, activists coming in and killing Israeli people. Uh, so to plead ignorance to this and the, the fact that they breached uh, all the security and were allowed to run amok ad hoc, killing people, 350 people with small arms fire, it's just not plausible. And in, in Northern Ireland, you know, during the troubles over here, have been reading a lot of books uh, written by people to do with, uh, you know, state collusion. You know, so the the the, the British government uh, and the, the the police service over here were colluding with loyalist paramilitaries, passing them arms and information to eliminate nationalist suspects. And the nationalist uh, paramilitaries or the republican paramilitaries, the IRA, uh, were very heavily infiltrated by you know MI5 agents or uh, special branch agents from the RUC, the Royal Ulster Constabulary, and the head of the internal security unit. In the IRA, they called them the Nutting Squad because they rooted out uh, informants and shot them in the head, basically. The head of their internal security uh, agency, which was a guy called Freddy Scapatici, who was codenamed Steakknife, was a British agent. You know, so it was infiltrated to the highest level. So again, let me pose the question to you. Uh, it's not plausible to believe that Hamas has not been infiltrated extensively by israeli pe- people that are uh, feeding information back are acting as uh, informants or agents feeding information and intelligence back to israel this couldn't possibly have come as a shock and a surprise there's no way they weren't informed about this there's no way they haven't infiltrated an organization like that if they can do it you know at provisional levels in, in northern ireland surely the israeli government are
3: doing it uh, with hamas also what do you think oh yeah there's absolutely no no way i mean i mean the the you know, you've got units like the Mistravim unit from Shin Bet, which is, which is Israeli's d- uh, domestic, uh, intelligence agency. Uh, you've got um, Maglan, Maglan units from the IDF that operate inside Gaza. You've got uh, Ofek 13 satellites and Ofek satellite systems with, with the, that can view this, what's happening in Gaza in any weather conditions down to not half a meter squared resolution. You've got, you've, You've got drones. I mean, the, the the people that live in Gaza have been complaining of sleep deprivation because of the constant buzz of drones above their heads. Israel is one of the first, well, it is the first country in the world to launch a drone swarm in a military campaign. It used a drone swarm to take out Hamas fighters. It's it's in it's infiltration of Hamas. Hamas have Repeatedly killed large numbers of their own their own you know fighters because it was so heavily infiltrated by Israeli intelligence mm. and mm. Gaza was so heavily you know these these units are constantly operating inside Gaza so the idea that and 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 you know if we listen to Mohammed Dief who's the who was the operational commander on the day of the attack he said it took two years to plan. Alexa flood. Now, interestingly, Israel said, Israel said, no, that's not true. And he took a year, having just denied that they knew anything about it. So, how (laughs) do they know how long it took? You know, right? <laughs> they, you know, either they You're know correct, or they correcting,
1: you know, that. <laughs> correcting the intelligence to say, well, we know nothing about this, but it didn't take two years. It was actually 12 months. You know, so again, yeah. you know, yeah, and some of the statements in as well that came out uh, directly after that, for example, Netanyahu came on and uh, said it was Israel's darkest hour. Uh, he started quoting the Old Testament, the Bible. He started quoting the Amalekites that had to be wiped mm. off the face of the earth. And then he went on to say that this was uh, Israel's 9 11. Now, of course, 9 11. Was used as a as a as a as a wedge to uh, get it further and deeper into the Middle East on America's part, uh, you know, on the basis of eliminating uh, Osama bin Laden and uh, bringing an end to the so-called war on terror. Uh, so when Netanyahu came out with that statement that this is um, uh, Israel's 9/11 are there layers to that that again might be lost on the average joe listening to his statements much the same way as the american press secretary said you know uh russia's going to encroach on our eastern flank that went over the heads of very very many people did the netanyahu statement also go over the heads of many when he referenced 911
3: yeah i think so i mean there are other little things in there as well wasn't he said when uh, i i think one of the initial reports said that the 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 quote unquote failures uh of um of, of Israeli intelligence was a failure of imagination, which is mm. very reminiscent of what they said about, I think it was Bush, Bush said, and, and it was a comment that was made at the, um, uh, oh God, forget the name of the inquiry uh, after the, after 9-11, it was a failure of imagination. No one could imagine, no one could imagine terrorists flying planes into a tower, tower building, into high rise tower blocks, although they'd extensively, You know, run uh, uh, training exercises based precisely on that scenario and had written about it, you know, in intelligence briefings many, many, many times. So they, they did absolutely know and expect that that was a distinct possibility and then said that they didn't after the fact. This is the same. This is the same scenario. I mean that that Israel had planned extensive. I mean, this this is this is the extent to which we are supposed to accept that this is a failure of imagination. Four weeks before Al-Aqsa flood, uh Hamas produced a video of itself uh storming the wall, storming military bases, storming kibbutzes, shooting at people. On mass and a mass kind of kind of exercise called Strong Pillar, which looked pretty identical to what happened on on the the day of Alaxa flood, and, and published a video on their own YouTube on their own you know uh, Telegram channels. Hmm. So and yet we are supposed to believe at the same time you know you've got all these people these people that lived in the area that knew full well what was what was coming. And and don't forget, it happened on the 50th anniversary of Yom Kippur, which was mm-hmm. a surprise attack, and has great significance for 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 the Hamas, for organisations like Hamas. Local people were openly saying, you know, this is a high risk moment. Yeah. You know that they've been planning for this, they've been building up forces, they've been openly doing large scale exercises on the on the Gaza side of the border publishing videos about what they're planning to do and yet we are supposed to believe the official account which is that israeli intelligence and israeli defense and security so- services knew nothing about it and that that is just not even it's not even close to being credible it's ridiculous <laughs>
1: You know what, Uh, well obviously you couldn't do this, but I was thinking you could have saved yourself an awful lot of typing with that article that you uh, put together very beautifully. Uh, The question was, was Al-Aqsa flood a false flag? I think it could be summarized in two words, not plausible end-off report. So, of course, you can't do that. But I'm jesting here, but yeah, I think that's the conclusion we're coming to. Listen, people, if you want to get more information in this, uh, because we don't have enough time to cover it in any more detail, please check out Ian's website, iandavis.com. Check out his Substack page, which is Ian Davis, and also the article that was published on uh, Her Voyage Mauritius' geopolitics and empire. Ian, we're out of time. Uh, massive thanks uh, for squeezing as much information as humanly possible into the short time that we had. Uh, you and I'll stay stay in touch probably get together again in the new year and if i don't see you before it or talk to you before it, have a great christmas that's the one and only uh ian davis i'm the one and only rick munn this is the one and only tnt radio and stay tuned uh, james freeman is incoming like a like a scud missile into tnt Towers. so please don't go away more coming after this short break